Welcome to Staying Connected, a podcast about UK-German friendship, past, present and future. This is the first edition of our podcast. It's dedicated to the role of journalists in keeping Germany and the UK connected. I'm Jochen Möller, the spokesperson of the German Embassy. The question we would like to explore is, does journalism help connect Germany and the UK? Or does it too often focus on our society's differences? After all, media tends to not just inform, but also to entertain and to dramatize. Let's ask the bureau chiefs of two well-known newspapers, one from London, one from Berlin. Stefanie Bolzen, based in London for German daily Die Welt. Welcome, Stefanie. Thank you very much. And Philipp Oltermann, he's based in Berlin for The Guardian. Welcome, Philipp. Thank you. So, um, Stefanie, you go first. Does journalism help connect Germany and the UK? Well, I hope so. I mean, this is basically our job to, to keep uh, a connection between the UK and, and Germany. I mean, I think... Being the London correspondent, in a way, is one of the hardest correspondent jobs you can have because Germans know so much about the UK. I'm sometimes almost embarrassed when I when I talk to Germans back home how much they know um, in detail about the politics, the culture, the education system, uh, about, well, they, they have lived in the UK, they have studied in the UK, they have traveled to the last corner of uh, Scotland. So... Um, It's quite a demanding job in that sense. And um, let's say in the last years, obviously, it has, it has become not the classic correspondent post anymore because of Brexit and because the whole situation has been very politicized and we've been covering mainly politics and less what is the classic correspondent's job of reporting about the country. It has been very London focused. And if there's one thing that I kind of look forward to is um, in the future and after the pandemic, leaving London more and reporting again more about the United Kingdom. Thanks. What's your take, Philip? I think, I mean, obviously, uh, as journalism is a way to, to connect uh, to countries and as a foreign correspondent, you know, your job is to, to explain how a, a country ticks, uh, how, what motivates uh, political decisions on the surface, what goes on behind the, behind the scenes. And I think that that, that does help to, to connect to countries and that it, it provides a deeper understanding. You know, obviously, I think it's fair to say that my situation is, is very different to Stephanie's. And I think um, Germany is a country that Britain uh, knows a little bit less about than Germany knows about Britain. Um, so I think there's a there's a sort of, uh, there's a knowledge gap that, that journalism fills. At the same time, it's probably fair to say that, you know, structurally, journalism thrives on on difference in order to uh, if, uh, to pitch a story to to an editor um, it, it doesn't really help if you say yeah we've got exactly the same problem here in germany that you've got in the uk i mean sometimes that can if if that leads if if the, if the angle is well look in germany they found a solution to a problem that you've got in the uk then you've got a story. But if it's exactly the same story as, as in Britain, um, then uh, that doesn't really work. So, yes, it's probably fair to say that I think journalism uh, thrives on, um, on, on cultural differences, um, but that doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. Yeah, I think um, that's, that's an interesting thought because from, from a German journalist perspective, we very often um, report in the UK because it's relevant for us, because... From Germany, we, we look at other countries to see how they manage things. Now, recently, obviously, in the pandemic. And um, I wonder how that was for you, Philip. I mean, did The Guardian often ask you, 
how do the Germans manage the pandemic? I mean, in the beginning, probably better than than in the second wave, as we call it. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the pandemic has really brought this out. It's made it's surprised me to to realize how much actually every European country looks at the other. We don't normally do that. I think in the, in the pandemic, where every country was suddenly facing the same challenge, there was a lot of interest and there was a lot of comparing and, I guess, emphasizing differences. And I'd say probably not just between Britain and Germany, not just because of Brexit. I mean, there was a lot in Germany, there was a lot of interest in how Austria was doing at the beginning. But certainly for me, um, my editors were very interested in Germany for the first few uh, months of the pandemic because it looked like Germany had somehow found a found the key the key to 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 how to do do this all you know um germany had developed that um, the first pcr test and it had a sort of track and trace system automatically in place you know it didn't have to implement some uh, that much in a way it was doing a lot of testing and the um fatality rate for the virus looked really low so there was a lot of um, you know, look at the Germans, they've, they've done everything right. That interest waned a bit when it suddenly looked like, oh, actually, Germany is just, it's just another country that's, that's also making mistakes. And now, more recently, there, there's been a lot more interest because actually Germany has struggled a bit with the, the vaccination uh, rollout and uh, and that there's a sort of um, uh, a sort of stereotype, a cliche of Germany as this uh, nation of efficiency that's been not shattered but but dented a bit by that. Yeah, in the end, it's it's quite difficult, I think, to escape stereotypes and also this kind of competition. I mean, um, and I think it's especially strong between Germany and Britain. I mean, there's always been this kind of competitive thing that I guess goes back quite a lot to football. Yeah, I mean, the, the famous Gary Lineker frustrated expression of saying um, football is a game where uh, when you play Germany, 11 players are on, on the field and in the end, Germany wins in penalties. So there is, I, I, I detect that a lot, um, this constant interest and sometimes as we call it the schadenfreude that germany is actually now not doing very well and um in the on the with the background of brexit i find it rather tragic i, I don't know how strong that is perceived in germany but here it's uh, it's actually a constant undertone in a lot of british press about look at the germans how badly they're doing now and it's picked up actually in Germany as well, interestingly, especially by Bildzeitung. Yeah, they've, they've amplified it a bit. I don't know what you think about this, Stephanie, but because um, I know uh, Die Welt um, isn't perhaps a, in, stylistically, in the way you write your journalism, isn't the most typical of German newspapers. But I mean, I, I grew up in, I grew up in Germany and I um, did my first sort of experience in journalism was for local newspapers. But then, but most of my experience really of, of writing um, properly was um, was in the UK. Uh, and then moving back to, to Germany um, in, in 2016, I was, I was sort of just quite struck actually by by how differently we, we write journalism. I mean, obviously, it's the same profession. But um, I mean, this is a generalization. But uh, I think British journalists, um, news reporters and foreign correspondents are always told to to stick essentially in their reporting to the the old traditional um, inverted pyramid of reporting, which means that you get all the facts 
at the top and then, you know, it thins out. You can cut from the bottom. Um, and I was just sort of struck by how much um, uh, a, a lot of leading newspapers are still in, 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 uh, in Germany that I, that I really like and I, you know, I, I admire their reporting, but how the, the reporting is often so, um, uh, so gently paced. Uh, and often I find myself reading saying, oh, come on, get to the point. What are, what are, you, what are you trying to, to say? So um, I think I would say probably both of those traditions have their advantage. Um, but um, if, if done badly, I guess uh, British journalism can sometimes, um, uh, you know, an article can be like a sort of perfectly formed arrow, which is constantly being thrown at targets. Um, and it, 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 it hits the target, but it doesn't really explain or give context. You know, you're constantly in attack mode. And uh, on the contrary, German journalism that is worst can sometimes be uh, putting the, the context first and, and wants to give you so much context and so much detail that that, um, that you find yourself asking, you know, what, what are you trying to tell me here? What's what's the story? I don't know whether whether you found this uh, experience that difference when you moved to to the UK, Stephanie. Yeah, I mean, certainly this thing about the say more reflective German style of writing, whether you look at the so called page three in the Süddeutsche or these very long essays where, as you say, sometimes you actually don't know. It's wonderful to read. It's it's almost, it's a, it's an art, but um, you, you at the, on the last paragraph, you actually still don't know what the story is about. And that's something that you, you, you don't find here. I mean, you do find it in the magazines, but in the daily press, it's, as you say, it's tuck, tuck, tuck. What's the headline? And actually after three paragraphs, you could cut the piece if, if you wanted to. And I think that's also very much a reflection of the political culture here. I mean, the, the political culture here is so much more frantic and fast. And if you, I, I have a lobby pass, so sometimes, obviously not now so much, but I, I hang out with the lobby pack and I see how they hunt and how they go. Um, and I mean, I often feel really sorry for the spokespeople of the government here because they get, they get really martyred. Uh, in the lobby rooms, um, and but I, I I do admire it. I think there's a good thing about it. I do think that German media sometimes should be more British, but then I also think British media sometimes should be more German because they get so carried away with little things. And this brilliant lobby correspondence, they get they are so bright and so fast but they get carried away with something that you think, hey, guys, you're losing the big picture. What is actually the big picture here? And so, and I think that's why politics here also moves very far and fast and gets away very quickly with things, which in Germany, politicians do not get away with. Whether it's, I mean, we're just having a, these cases in Germany with the CDU MPs who have to resign and so on. And um, yeah, it's a German, German politics, I think, and German journalism is far more dull, less personalities. I mean, obviously, there's no Boris Johnson in Germany. Um, but uh, it's a bit more sustainable, I think. And maybe that's why the country is also a bit more sustainable in a way. Can I come in here? I'd like to ask you, what are your favorite stories? Like, are there stories which are maybe not even reported enough uh, from your point of view? about this knowledge gap that has been mentioned already. Is there something that's being underreported that would be useful for people to know uh, in Britain or in, in Germany? I mean, I uh, reporting from Germany, something 
which is maybe a personal hobby horse of mine, but I do really enjoy um, reporting about um, uh, sort of uh, small regional stories. I mean, I think something that is hard to understand for a British reader who doesn't necessarily know Germany that well is is that the the federal structure means you do have uh, it's a it's a sort of it's a it's a loose uh, patchwork of of, of very different. Um, uh, states with different political cultures, with different cultures. Um, and I think sometimes that means that where Germany can, as a whole, can sometimes look a bit staid and sluggish, there's, there's often sort of quite surprising innovation and crazy experiments happening um, at, at a very local level um, from, uh, you know, little uh, nurseries for kids that, that uh, sort of do little experiments in democracy or um, quirky little villages with um, with archaic traditions. That's something I, I personally uh, like reporting on and you know while the individual story is you know that's up for the reader to decide how much they, they're enlightened by it um, I do think it, it actually um, it's, it's something that is useful for um, uh, for Brits to understand how that federalism means that this, this whole country really ticks quite differently in, in a lot of ways you know not just um, not just when it comes to culture but also you know we've seen it I mean I, th- I, th- I think one of the reasons why Germany did quite well, perhaps, um, um, uh, in the early stages of the pandemic, because it, it was quite decentralised, and it, it, that allowed it to move quite quite quickly, in a way, in, in, in some ways. Um, we're now seeing the, the downside of, of decentralisation to an extent with the vaccine rollout, but that's a, that's a bigger story. What are your favourite stories, Stephanie? <laughs> Obviously, the royals. Love the royals. Always a good story. Um, no, I seriously, I mean, the, the, the royals, um, the, the latest uh, Harry and Meghan um, chapter is, is a very interesting one because it has so much in there, which is the, if you want to, the um, kind of social fight between what you call the woke culture and the very traditional culture and the role of institution and traditions of hundreds of years clashing with the very fast moving social media world. So that, that's a fascinating story. In general, I mean, um, of course, Boris Johnson is a great story. Um, I mean, you are kind of blessed if you are a UK reporter, because there's always, and if it's not Boris Johnson, there's other um, just very entertaining figures in the political world here, whether it's politics or sports. It's, I always think that, um, um, Britain, British culture is far more a show. I mean, it's, it's important to, to entertain on the stage and whether that stage is politics or, or, or um, academia or science or whatever. I mean, there's, there's, they, Brits are much better than Germans to just tell a good story. Um, I also liked in a way Brexit. I mean, it was fascinating. And also it was a privilege to be here in those years of Brexit because this is world history, it's European history. And um, I like to do stories that somehow break down why this happened and what it means. I reported a lot on EU citizens and what that meant for, for well, three million at least uh, Europeans living here. Um, and so much that is reflected in, in Brexit. I mean, I'm just wondering, uh, I mean, you said earlier that this sort of, um, you know, at, at their worst, uh, 
us British journalists can sometimes just get to sort of um, embed themselves in, in one detail, you know, with a little arrows that just gets too far deep, too deep into the matter. And we just don't see the whole picture. I do wonder whether the pandemic and actually and Brexit, whether those two things have slightly changed things uh, a bit, um, perhaps just temporarily. But um, I, I do feel, you know, for, for journalists like us who, I mean, <laughs> I'm happy to say I, I wasn't, an, uh, not, I was neither an expert in, in, in um, uh, pan-European trade nor in uh, in, in uh, virology beforehand. <laughs> but um, we've, we've all been, had to face this challenge where we've, we've had to learn a lot um, before we can report on it uh, This uh, for the last uh, five years. Um, and I wonder whether that has, um, in a way, enforced actually a little bit more of the bigger picture journalism, a little bit more of the explaining journalism. Take the EU, you know, that's something that for a long time in Britain um, we reported on, perhaps without understanding every aspect of it. And suddenly we realised that there are all these stories about um, supply chains, um, about patent law. <laughs> uh, you know, that, that suddenly it's it's actually um, changed changed our job quite a lot. I feel I don't know if that's perhaps there's been a particularly um, a sort of change for for the British um, press, but um, perhaps perhaps less so for for Germany. Yeah, I mean it, it's. Uh... It's interesting that because of Brexit, there are now far more British correspondents in Brussels, for example. But I, I think in general, if you compare just the sheer staff numbers of German journalists working in London and then British journalists working in, in Berlin, I don't know the numbers, but there must be a, a big difference. And I think uh, The Guardian and The Times, also BBC and Financial Times, they're doing a good job reporting on Britain. But if you compare it with German media outlets, even the local and regional papers have at least a, a freelance correspondent in, in, in London. And there's so much reporting. If I go back to my parents in, in the Rhineland and they read Rheinische Post every other day, there is a story on, on Britain, at least. And it could be in the business part. It could be in the political part or culture. And this is so much less in Britain. And I think that's a real shame. And I, I, I think that's also the reason why Brexit happened, because people in the UK knew too little about Brit uh, about Europe. Do you think, I mean, do you get the feeling that um, uh, perhaps the sort of the people they interview, you know, the politicians that you uh, interview or try to get interviews with, are they, have they become a bit more interested in what the German papers uh, think about them um, since Brexit happened? Or? Yes, I mean... Uh, especially in the beginning, when or when when the negotiations started between Brussels and London in 2017, suddenly we got invites to interview ministers, we got backgrounds, we suddenly became a constituency in the whole Brexit drama, um, and that was a great time because um, uh, traditionally, people who are in Washington say it's similar. You you don't get access because you are not a constituent, so. Why should an MP from, I don't know, from, from the northwest of England bother to talk to a non-British media? And, and that's a bit of a, of a shame, I think, because then you write about them anyway. And if you can't talk to them, you have to take the version you get in the British press. And that's, first of all, it's frustrating. And second, it's not good for the coverage. And as far as I see, I see German politicians giving far more interviews to British press than the other way around. Is that right, Philip? That's probably true. I mean, I guess, I mean, it's not just the British press, it's the Americans as well, because I guess we have this uh, enormous advantage that we write in a language that, you know, and, um, 
we can be read all around the world, not just in the UK, but you know, literally in uh, all around the world. I mean, we, we, we've got the lingua franca, we've got globish on our side. Um, so that, that that means that um, uh, uh, it is it is easier probably to get interviews with German politicians for us. I mean, I sometimes wish they they came to us more more often and thought of us more as a as a as a sort of uh, platform on which they can uh, make themselves. Um, be heard. I think, in my impression, I wasn't. I was not a reporter in, in London. I was. I was an editor mostly for the Guardian before I came to Berlin. But um, my my impression was always that there was um, political culture in Westminster was a little bit more informal. Um, I think in Berlin, um, uh, in political circles, there's a, there's you know there's an attempt to to be transparent with the press, but it is a little bit um, stiffer and a little bit more regulated. There's a, uh, there's a sort of that's something very formal about the way that um, politicians switch between what they call in Germany unter eins, unter zwei, unter drei, you know, uh, on the record, off the record, off off the record. Uh, and there's something very, very formal to the extent that sometimes you have press conferences where people press a button to change the mode they're talking in. That's that culture is sometimes um, uh, a bit difficult to navigate, I find. You know, that's a fascinating point, actually. Um, that, that's a, that's maybe one of the reasons why for a non-UK press, it's not so easy to get interviews because, or even backgrounds, because for us, um, we, we often, I have, a, I have a, my own background with other European colleagues, And um, we are always very keen to talk off the record because often it's much more interesting to us because um, the stories that they are telling us, we cannot even get them into the paper back home. But the, the, the real insider stuff for us is interesting and they don't do it because they are not trusting because they are too afraid if they say something, it might be leaked and then they, they get into trouble. And that's a massive difference. And I'm sometimes almost amazed that mostly German press is so... Um, reliable when you say unter drei off the record they don't report it they really do not report it yeah i guess on the downside of the british uh, system of being constantly on the record is that you're only off the record to the people that you really trust which creates a very sort of um the culture of uh, of insiders and outsiders um which 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 can be problematic i think Okay, um, I'd like to end now um, with a question that we always want to ask our guests. So um, I will put this question to you both and I'll start with um, Philip. What has to be done to ensure our countries stay connected in the years to come? More in a broader view, not only just journalism. How can we best strengthen our ties, Germany and the UK? Play football together? <laughs> um, it's obviously a... Um, a big question. I mean, I think um, I do think we're going to find that um, something as boring as institutions and programs matter because um, I mean, we journalists, we you know, as we started by saying, we can maybe help the two countries to understand each other, but we cannot replace uh, two people from those two different countries meeting in person and working on a project together um, or, um, you know, um, uh, studying together or yeah, playing a football match together or something. Um, that's where, you know, real 
cultural exchange happens and you do, you do need some sort of um, uh, a platforms to allow that to happen, as boring as that sounds. How about you, Stefanie? Yeah, I think at the end, it's it's again, uh, as Philip says, it's it's people to people and it will now become more difficult because Erasmus doesn't exist anymore and this new touring um, university exchange program is only starting and it's far more focused on the whole wild wide world and not only on Europe and it will become very expensive for um, European young people to study in the UK so um, I, I think that both countries hopefully put um, quite a bit of money and effort into into yeah actually going back to what what were these programs and um, partnerships and exchanges that we saw um, after the second world war it's, it sounds sounds almost pathetic but i think this is what we we got to do anymore but if i'm talking to my um, teenage kids who grow up here and are completely english um they they are saying germany is actually quite cool so there is like raves are from germany berlin is cool so i think the cool britannia logo Germany needs to get that cool Germany logo and needs to sell it very deliberately and targeted to a young audience in the UK via social media, via TikTok, via all these platforms where young people are around and, and just do this in a clever way and find people who um, this generation, because that is the important generation. It's not us anymore. We are already too old. But the kids today, they, they find cool people, whether it's even Jürgen Klopp or some rap stars or singers and and events in germany that they really identify with and that they can find in their in their social media feeds and and i think that is the challenge which uh which we hopefully can manage i mean i think even before um uh, before brexit i remember doing a story uh, you know way before brexit about um uh, twin town schemes which used to be a uh, uh, you know, one place where that exchange used to happen, where you, you had um, some sort of, you know, trips organized by by towns that were twinned. And often that's where the how school exchanges happened. And I remember doing looking into this and, and, and finding that, you know, these had really started to um, die down a lot of a lot of the um, German British twin town schemes had to sort of um, been neglected over the years. Um, Perhaps for for a reason. Perhaps um, you know um, uh, why would you necessarily do it via the town when we all become more mobile and um, you know we can we can jump on planes and, and find other ways to meet people. But um, you know school exchanges uh, feels like it's it's a good place to start to make sure that those happen again. Many thanks to our guests. Many thanks uh, to Stefanie Bolzen. Many thanks to Philipp Oltermann. If you like this podcast, please tell your friends. And if you have feedback or an idea for a future discussion, please contact us. Thanks for listening.